All right. All right. Good evening. Good, good Friday evening, everybody. Find a seat. Welcome to our fall, fr- fall Friday forum. Maybe the volume down just a little bit. They're like ears are going to start ringing. So I, I really do think, welcome everybody, by the way. Thanks for coming. I really do think this is going to be an important evening in the life of our church. I'm glad you made it out tonight. So let me, before I introduce Mike and he comes up and talks, let me say three, make three kind of uh, public service announcements. First, a housekeeping note. When you came in tonight, you should have received one of these sheets. It was on your chair. If for some reason you didn't receive one, now would be a great time. Raise your hand or steal one off of a seat next to you. Did everybody get one? I want to make sure everybody has it. It's important that everybody has their own copy. Also, Jenny Andrus has some pins. If you didn't bring one, she will, excuse me, she will pass that out right now. If you need a pin, raise your hand. Hands all over the room. Awesome. We got you covered. Thanks, Jenny. All right, a second note about discipleship training. This forum is part of our larger adult education initiative called Discipleship Training. Uh, It's an initiative here at Crossway where we're trying to train Christians to follow Jesus in every area of life. The training hosts this forum. It hosts forums just like this and regularly offered courses. In fact, just this week, we'll be launching our fall courses. I want to tell you about those. On Sunday, we'll be launching Christianity 101. It will be after the second service in room 102. So you just kind of leave the service and you head right into the room. It's for Christians and non-Christians. And it's a really safe place for you you to bring all of your questions and ask them. A lot of them will be answered. Steve Handler and Keith Fisher are going to be hosting this. So it's a really great place. If you've got questions about Christianity, it's a great place to bring those, to be introduced to the gospel, to be introduced to Jesus, to be kind of reintroduced to the gospel and to Jesus. So that's in room 102. Don't worry about the room number. Just know it's after second service, and we're going to give you lunch. So that's on Sunday. Uh, Next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we'll launch two classes. We'll launch our marriage workshop. And we'll launch our bird's eye view of the Old Testament course. The two-week marriage workshop will give you a biblical and practical set of instructions about how to navigate, how to handle conflict in your marriage. Should I have a raise of hand for who has conflict in their marriage? That's not why you're here tonight, obviously. Okay. So it's a two-week workshop. Mike's going to be teaching that. And then kind of simultaneously that night, we'll be launching our bird's eye view of the Old Testament course. This is really just a simple introduction to overview of the Old Testament. It's a course that's intended to make you feel at home in 60% of your Bibles. There will be charts and timelines and maps of plenty. So you can sign up for any of these classes. You've got a little handout. Thank you, Mark. You've got a little handout there. If you want to just put your name, email address, and check the class that you want to attend, on the way out, there's a basket at the back table that you can simply drop those completed registrations in. All right, that's my second note. My last note, my last introductory note tonight, I want to tell you about tonight's forum. As I've already said, 
I think this is an important night in our life as a church. It's a very important topic. Really glad you've joined us. If you're a guest, it's important for you too. I think you'll find it very helpful. Few things, few things display the wonder of the gospel and the beauty of God's character like a proper functioning Christian marriage. I want to say that again. Few things display the beauty of the gospel and the wonder of God's character like a proper functioning Christian marriage. And at the same time, few things tarnish the gospel. Few things tarnish our display of God's character more profoundly than an improperly functioning Christian marriage. Folks, if we can get marriage right, if this church can get marriage right, then our church can be a shining city on a hill in a culture that desperately needs the lights turned on. We can be a shining city on a hill in a culture that is desperate for us to shine the light of the good news of what God has done through Jesus. So, nearly two years back, we elders began crafting a document about what the Bible says about marriage about what it says about the dissolution of marriage, about what it says about separation, about what it says about remarriage. We wanted to be absolutely faithful to God's holy word, absolutely faithful to God's word. And we wanted to think like really, really carefully about how God's never-changing word applies to our ever-changing world. So this document that you now hold in your hands is the result of that process. Catch this, it expresses the unanimous consent of our elder team, which is a reason for us to pause and almost give thanks to God right now. Not that that's unusual, but a a topic of this importance coming to unanimity was really a gift from the Lord. So that document that you hold in your hand is the result of that process, and we are like so eager to share it with you tonight. In a moment, Mike's going to do that. After he does, we're going to have a time of Q&A. Let me talk about that Q&A just a little bit. Considering the sensitive nature of the topic, we want to keep Q&A focused on understanding the document. So if you need clarification on the document, if you want to ask Mike about certain biblical supports that he's talked about, we want to focus Q&A on clarifying what we've written as elders. If you're in a situation then where you feel like you need counsel about your marriage, we're eager to talk with you, or you've got a marriage that you know of in your life that you want specific counsel on, we are eager to talk with you, but we want to serve you by talking about those kinds of things in private. So the Q&A would not be the best place to bring those up, but we as elders would be really happy to talk with you after to set up an appointment and to talk with you in private. All right. So all the public service announcements that I have, I want to pray before Mike comes on up. So if you would bow with me, let's ask for God's help tonight. So, Father, here we are. We're we're ready to hear from you. We're we're ready to share with this church that we love uh, this gift of consensus and clarity that we feel you've given us as elders. Would you give us as a church grace to understand and to treasure and to follow your words to us about marriage. Help us, we pray, to display the beauty of the gospel and the wonder, the magnificence, the awe-inspiring nature of your character by how we do marriage in this church. We 
recognize that we are sinners in desperate need of your help, and we're so glad that you have promised to be generous. In fact, we've experienced you as generous. What would we do as a people if you were stingy? So, Father, we're asking you to come and help us, help us navigate the difficult, sometimes contentious, very, sometimes complex waters of marriage and divorce and separation and all the things associated with that. Help us to hear from you. Give Mike all the grace he needs to communicate to us clearly. <coughs> we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, set of keys that someone dropped on the sidewalk. Let's do a quick key check. <laughs> do you have your keys? If you don't, David Dogfall has them. Does it say what kind of uh, vehicle it is? Or The keys to Piggly Wiggly <laughs> are in David's hands. Who's got it? Roy, I think you're being a good husband right now. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, David. I know that um, <clears throat> Jared already said this, but we do want to say thank you for coming tonight. Um, my mind has been all over the place today. Um, obviously, been thinking about this, but several months ago, I received an invitation to go to the game in Madison tomorrow. Most of you, if you're college football fans or Badger fans, I happen to be a fan of what I found out today was the 24-point underdog tomorrow. So my son and I are going to join another father and son from this church and go up and watch Northwestern beat the Badgers. <laughs> um, the reason I share that with you is because um, Saturday is usually my heavy sermon preparation day. So that's out. So a lot of time today and yesterday was spent thinking about Romans chapter 14, which I'll tell you Sunday has undergone some revision. Not, not Romans 14 hasn't, but <laughs> my thinking about Romans 14 has. So I've been back and forth between marriage, divorce, remarriage, Romans 14, sometimes not keeping things clear in my head. So if I get off on Romans tonight, that's that just get me back. And then... I get a text. Mary, you'll um, be delighted to find this out. Not really, but um, I get a text from my wife. Our flight's been delayed. She's on her way out to spend some time with her sisters. And so, you know, I had extra duty this weekend, take care of the dogs, you know, just kind of. So I had a lot I was thinking about today. I get this text. Our flight has been delayed until 2.44. And so, you know, she's, I, you know, I just say, keep me posted on how it goes. Well, they got on the plane. And then they sat on the tarmac, and then their flight got canceled. So they're not going. Um, so right now my daughter, who's reluctant to drive down to O'Hare, is going down to pick up my wife. So that's on my brain. Um, so if I get a little distracted tonight, Brett, just come right on up and uh, take the reins here. I said that because I was looking at you at the time. So thank you so much for coming. Um, I mentioned this on Sunday. Uh, I'm pretty sure I said something like this. 
This is not just for people who are dealing with marriage issues tonight. I hope it's helpful for us in those kinds of situations, but that's not what this Friday Forum is. This is important for us, every one of us, as individual Christians, to have conviction about marriage and to have convictions about what marriage is all about and what God has said about marriage, both its protection and its um, provisions that he's made to protect people who are in hard situations. Um, But the reason why we're doing this as a church is because we need to own this as a church. This is not just something that individuals need to own. This is something that we as a church need to have and hold a commitment to, um, especially in the face of what I know you'll understand uh, when when I say this, mounting cultural pressure Um, from all sorts of directions. Definition of marriage, what's a marriage? Um, The lowering of the level of commitment. Um, So there are are all sorts of, you don't have to be an alarmist to say things like this. There are all sorts of attacks on marriage, and they're mounting. And so it's really important that we not adopt kind of a defensive position, that we adopt a position of great confidence um, in our understanding of what marriage is, and then out of that in our living, out of marriage, in all of its ramifications. And so tonight, um, that's what we're going to talk about. I really appreciated what Jared said. Where did you go, by the way, Jared? There you are. Um, I appreciated what he said about the process here. I cannot tell you. It was one of the moments of great joy in my pastoral ministry. I'm just telling you, the last, was it three weeks ago? It It was the first week of September when I sent out the final revisions that we had discussed as an elder team. Those revisions were all adopted. I sent out the final copy of this. I said, guys, I think we're there and proceeded to hear back from every one of the elders, I, I affirm this statement, unanimous. Um, it took us two years. It was the kind of thing that we regularly said to one another, we're going to be patient here. This is the kind of thing that's important enough for us to be patient. And different guys were at different paces on different issues. But I tell you, I thank God for what happened. Um, I am so grateful to God for... The process, which was team unifying, Um, it was educational for every one of us. It was something that I think built us as an elder team. And then to be able to, at our last meeting, look around the table and say, look what God has done. And we're now in a position to come to you as a church and say, we as elders want to present to you so that this is not just an elder document. You'll see right at the top of that page, this is a crossway document. This is something that we as a church want to represent um, who we are and what we believe. And so that's why, I know I'm taking a little extra time here, sorry. That's why I'm really glad you're here. And that's why this document is going to be available to the whole church. Um, So thank you for coming. You'll see up on the board here, I hope you can read this. It's not so much my bad penmanship, it's just the distance. Can you read it from in the back? All right. Um, I want to maximize our time. We're going to cover six steps. Um... All but the first step are represented by that document. I'm just going to briefly share a little bit of background, which is not in that document. And then those, I know those are not the same headings as you see, but those steps two through six represent things I want to make sure we cover tonight. And they're 
covered as we walk through this document. Let me just give you a sense of this once we get past the background. There's a design for marriage. In a fallen world, that marriage has experienced brokenness, or that design has experienced brokenness. In the face of that brokenness, God makes provision. Those provisions have limits, and all of this gets worked out, we pray, under the careful kind of um, protection and care and love of a local body of believers under the shepherding of a group of elders. So that's the ground we want to co- cover tonight, uh, most of it just by walking through that document. But let me begin with just a little background. For 20 years, we're now 20 years old as a church, for 20 years we have operated with what has been known as the traditional evangelical position on marriage and divorce. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. There are two grounds in Scripture warranted for a divorce, for the dissolution of a marriage. Those are sexual infidelity and desertion by an unbeliever. Those are the two things that the traditional evangelical position has said warrant a breaking of this otherwise lifelong covenant. That's the understanding that we operated on. The entire team uh, was unified in that understanding, and as we had to deal with particular situations, that's the understanding that we dealt with. And we had to deal, we've had to deal over the last 20 years with a number of situations under categories of marriage and divorce and remarriage. But as you know, um, life does not fit into nice, neat categories. Um, there are hard situations, and when I say hard, I don't just mean personally hard for people that are going through them. I also mean that it's not easy to figure out what the right thing to do is um, because not all of the details are addressed explicitly in Scripture. The Bible doesn't come to us as case law. In this situation, here's what you do. In this situation, here's what you do. In this situation, there are certain religious and moral systems that present themselves as case law, trying to cover every possible scenario and tell you what to do in that situation. The Bible doesn't operate like that. The Bible is far more principial. It's far more value-driven. Now, it does address real issues, but it doesn't attempt to cover the entire waterfront of every possible situation. So, we had these two explicit warrants for divorce, sexual unfaithfulness and desertion by an unbeliever. But what about cruelty? What do you do when there's cruelty in a marriage? person's not unfaithful sexually, and they're not deserting. What do you do? What about situations of neglect? Especially if these things, cruelty or neglect, go on. They're not just, you know, kind of occasions, one-offs or two-offs or ten-offs. They're like patterns in a marriage. What do you do when someone comes to you and lets you know that their husband or their wife is physically violent with them regularly um, or neglecting them in some basic dimension of their marriage. What happens if the desertion is by someone who professes to be a believer? Oh my goodness, it's so clear in 1 Corinthians that 
If an unbeliever wants to go, the believer should let them go, and you are now free. There's grounds for divorce. What, ha- what happens if the person deserting is a believer? So we sit around that table in there, and we, well, God, what do we do? Because the traditional evangelical approach doesn't account for this. And we've got to act. We can't just kind of sit back and say, sorry, the Bible doesn't speak to that. We're pastors. We're elders. We've got to care for people. And they need answers. They need help. So what, what do you do? You see my point, right? You wrestle with these things that are not explicitly addressed in Scripture. And when you wrestle with them, you look at them, and then also, you know, you hear the heartache behind them. You sense, hey, that situation is not good, but if you're operating on a particular biblical understanding, which we have been, which doesn't address those things, you're kind of in, in a bit of a fix. And so, now the danger is you begin to go off, off road because you're affected sentimentally or emotionally. When I use the word sentimentally, I'm not trying to diminish that. I'm, I'm saying you, you're affected by real life. And so you're tempted to just go off road. But God has bound us as a church and as a group of elders to this book. And he has argued that it is sufficient for all matters pertaining to our life and our conduct. It's sufficient. We believe that. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. So here we are as a group of elders now asking, okay, what do we do? You wrestle with these things. And as we wrestled with them over the past 20 years, um, we found ourselves giving more and more weight to a larger biblical understanding of marriage than just some specific references about particular cases. And we were helped by the fact that during that time, especially in the last set of years, trusted scholars, these are men that we come to trust on other grounds. It's not like we're looking for people who who might be carving out some. These are, I mean, I'll just mention one name, Wayne Grudem, whose systematic theology has been a mainstay in this church from the very beginning. We sell that systematic theology well. When Wayne begins to communicate privately and then more publicly that he's rethinking his position on divorce and remarriage because of these, some of these very things that I've shared with you, uh, that, that's really helpful when other scholars and theologians are finding themselves wrestling with real life and now also realizing that perhaps even though they have their purpose has been to be thoroughly biblical. Perhaps they have drawn the, the circle of biblical faithfulness too tightly. So we continue to deal with the situations and think and pray, realizing, this is a really important statement I'm about to make, realizing our position, our position was insufficiently biblical insufficiently biblical. Please notice, I am not... I I cannot read my penmanship. (laughs) Maybe if I just keep saying my previous sentence, it'll come back. (laughs) Um, I think what I'm, 
I think my point there <laughs> is that we're not being driven. Remember I said before, we're not going off road. We're not being driven by kind of sympathetic feelings towards situations. That's not what's driving us. We are being driven by a growing conviction that there's a larger biblical frame. There's a biblical faithfulness that we need to pursue. So this document that you hold in your hands right now represents what we believe is a more fully biblical stance. Your job, by the way, do you know that little, that wonderful little verse in uh, Acts, I forget what chapter it is, when Paul goes to Berea, and the Bereans were more faithful than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Your job as a member of this church is to make sure that what's being spoken tonight and what's being taught through this paper accords with sound doctrine, accords with scripture. What we're suggesting is that there's a bigger frame than just these explicit references to sexual unfaithfulness and desertion by an unbeliever. So I'm going to, with that background, I'm going to now just walk through the sections of this document. I think it's going to take us half an hour, maybe 35 minutes. I'm going to read through it. It's only three pages long. I'm going to pause here and there at very critical points. There's going to be a few places here where we wrestled hard, and I want to make sure you understand why we came to the point we came. So I'm going to pause here and there at critical points. And we trust, I'm speaking on behalf of the elders tonight, I want you to know that, we trust that this will be effective in presenting to you where we are as a church on these important questions. We'll have an opportunity for Q&A afterwards. All right. That's just background as to why we sensed a need to do this. I think I said on Sunday morning, we operated without a document for 20 years. And it became more and more apparent to us, we need a document. So here it is. So you see position paper on marriage, divorce, remarriage, and separation, Crossway Community Church. Approved by the Board of Elders, September 2019. What's not represented there is all the revisions. Draft three. Draft four with red letters, you know, little sections of red letters sent back out to the elders. Guys, please weigh in on these things that we agreed on at the last elder meeting. And slowly we've come to this. Let me just read this preface. The purpose of this paper is to articulate the position of Crossway Community Church regarding marriage, divorce, remarriage, and separation. We recognize the absolute authority of God's Word. We want to be very clear on that. There is no adjusting our commitment to the absolute authority of God's Word. And we understand the role of the elders to be the faithful and caring application of God's Word to the particular situations of people's lives. It is not the purpose of this paper to present biblical arguments. Now, I need to stay, just stop there and make a comment. We think biblical arguments are, like, really important. There's a bunch of biblical arguments that exist behind and underneath this paper. I hope you understand what I'm saying. This paper is not the place that we feel like those arguments need to be presented. Nor, the next sentence, is the purpose of this paper to present a close look at relevant biblical texts. 
but we've had to do that in order to come up with this paper. So there's been a lot of looking at particular passages. There's been a lot of biblical reasoning to come up with this particular uh, document. Rather, this paper is a summation of biblical conclusions with resultant principles. In other words, we just tried to distill for this paper the results and the conclusions from our looking at the relevant biblical texts and engaging in biblical argument or biblical reasoning. This is a summation of biblical conclusions with resultant principles and guidelines for application to common situations. That's a really important sentence. I don't know what kind of notes you're taking, but we didn't pass out highlighters. If we did, I'd have you highlight that sentence. This paper is a summation of biblical conclusions with resultant principles and guidelines for application to common situations. It should be noted that this statement is designed to support, not substitute for, prayerful and wise shepherding in these particular situations. When there are cases that need to be dealt with, we're not just going to say, read this. We're going to do our best to love you and care for you and come alongside you and weep with you and rejoice with you and do whatever else is appropriate in your situation to help you honor God in the decisions that are before you. Um, Please notice those last two words in that opening paragraph. Do you see that particular situations? Please notice that phrase. It's already occurred twice. It's in the second sentence, application of God's word to the particular situations of people's lives. And here it is again in this sentence. Why shepherding in these particular situations? Just hold that phrase in your mind for a moment. I'm going to come back and pick it up. Second paragraph. While every marriage has its own history and dynamic and every failed marriage its own unique set of factors, there are biblical principles that apply to all. None of us is out from under the umbrella of of biblical authority. None, None of us. And so no matter what our situation, as unique as it might be, we are under the authority of God's word. I hope no one I hope no one wants to be out from underneath that. There is no blessing. There is no grace out there. So let's commit ourselves again under the umbrella of the authority of God's word. So you have these biblical principles. Now let me go back and pick up that phrase that I highlighted a moment ago, particular situations. Here's what this paper is all about. Here's what we're trying to do as elders of this church. We're trying to bring biblical principles up against particular situations. Those two phrases summarize what we're trying to do. Biblical principles applied faithfully, lovingly, caringly, responsibly to particular situations. We recognize that while caring for people in cases of divorce, remarriage, and separation, the elders will need to carefully hear and consider each case individually and exercise pastoral wisdom particular to each case. But we will do so by resting on the following biblical understanding. That's what this document is. It's an attempt to represent a biblical understanding upon which we will stand as elders. We want you to stand with us as a church. This is what we believe the Bible teaches, and now we're going to take this and apply it, we trust, carefully, patiently, to particular situations. As elders... We are eager to be alongside those in challenging marital situations as early as possible. 
This is one of the places that we want to appeal to you. We want to plead with you, not just you, but the church. I'm going to come back to this sentence at the very end, but I want you to hear it now. We want you to hear it now. As elders, we're eager to be alongside those in challenging marital situations as early as possible to provide care, counsel, encouragement, and support. I want to stress that. I'm going to come back to it. We just, we don't just want a position paper. What we want happening here at Crossway is care and help and support and guidance and love. All right. First major heading, and now that corresponds to design. In fact, you might want to just write that in the margin next to marriage. Design. As with everything he did, God has design. He's got purpose. Um, One of my favorite little verses in Psalm 119 is, you are good and what you do is good. Everything God touches is good. We learn that from the very first chapter. (laughs) It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Everything God does is good. And marriage certainly is no exception to that. So let me read this. Marriage is a sacred union designed and blessed by God. Genesis chapter 2 is so important, we daren't kind of go on without reading that. Genesis chapter 2. I'm not going to read every reference that we make here, but I want to read a couple. This is one of them. Genesis chapter 2. Listen to verses 18 through 25. This will be familiar, but hear it it kind of with, with a new lens on. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. By the way, this is just, this is God, this is God at his finest. I'm going to make him a helper, but it's none of these. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to let him kind of look at each one and go. Um, so out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Hmm. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man, and then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen to this now. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother. It's one of the most important verses about marriage in your whole Bible. Right here, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. That is a word that is just full of meaning. We'll get to it. To his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Marriage, next sentence, it is a complementary. That's a comple, not complementary. I hope you compliment your spouse once in a while, but that's not what this means. It means a mutually beneficial, a designed kind of interdependence, complementary union between one man. Now, you can understand why we're saying that these days, right? Between one man and one woman, in which God participates as both witness and gracious presence. Now, we, those are not throwaway words. 
Uh, Malachi this is another passage I want to read. This, by the way, is one of those passages that has traditionally um, been misused. And so we just want to make sure we're getting this as right as we can. Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But you say, uh, I'm trying, kind of jumping right in the middle here. This will make sense, though, as I keep reading. Why does he not? Because the Lord, in other words, why is God not blessing us? Because the Lord was witness. There's where we get that witness thing. He was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God bore witness to that. He was there. He heard you make your vows. Um, he saw it. So he's witness, and did he not make them one? In other words, now here's the God's gracious presence thing with a portion of the Spirit in their union. He's, there's more here than just a man and a woman. This is God pouring out his blessing. He's born witness, and God pours out his blessing. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Read the next verse. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithful, faithless. So God's original intention for marriage is that it be exclusive and lifelong. I just sat with a couple this morning um, who are asking me to marry them. Uh, they're getting way out in front of their marriage. It's on June 20th. And uh, I say, said to them, like I always say to a young couple, I ask them a bunch of questions before I say, yes, I'll marry you. And then one of the things I say, have you thought about your vows? And I hand them a sheet of the traditional vows. And I say, you are free to write your own vows, but I want to see them. And they better say two things. They better speak of exclusivity, you and you only. And they better speak of permanence, you until I die or you die. Um, it's one of the things I love about the traditional vows is they speak those things so clearly. Exclusivity and permanence, and that's what God intended from the beginning. His original intention for marriage is that it be exclusive and lifelong. That's communicated clearly in Matthew 19. According to God's word, the purpose of marriage is to provide... Here's just a lovely little kind of catalog of God's purpose. To provide companionship. Not good for man to be alone. I'm going to give you a companion um, to produce and raise godly children. You just saw that in the Malachi passage. It's in Genesis 1:28 as well. Be fruitful, multiply. That's not to say that your marriage is incomplete if you don't have children. It's simply to say that the right context of having children is marriage. It's one of the purposes of marriage. Um, to provide for sexual joy and purity. I'm just so glad the Bible speaks very openly and comfortably about that's a purpose of marriage to provide sexual joy, Proverbs chapter 5, and to provide protection in your sexuality, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul speaks very bluntly about that. And ultimately, to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. That's Ephesians 5. All of those are purposes of marriage. So let me read this next paragraph. Crossway celebrates marriage as a significant part, please notice this, of God's common grace toward mankind. This is not the unique property of Christians. Unbelievers are bound by God's design of marriage as well. 
Now, will they experience the fullness of it? No. But unbelievers can have good marriages. Um, it's a common grace. It's just like the rain that falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's common grace. Marriage is a creation ordinance, not a redemption ordinance. In other words, it's not unique to believers. It's for all mankind. Therefore, the, the requirements apply to all mankind as well, even though unbelievers might not place themselves like this. The fact of the matter is the design is the same and the requirements are the same. So we celebrate marriage as a significant... That's why I will marry two unbelievers. I won't marry a believer and an unbeliever, but I'll marry two unbelievers. I'd much rather have them get married than to continue on in some sort of non-married relationship. Get married. Marriage is a good thing. Um, So... I'm making more comments here than I thought I was going to make. Um, Toward mankind, and as a particular means of benevolence and sanctifying grace for believers. I think marriage, oh my. Um, Every young couple that I counsel, I tell them this. Marriage is a sanctification partnership. You stand up here on that day, and God's whispering in your ear, you see that young lady over there? She's my daughter. I love her. And I'm at work in her life, and now I'm bringing you into her life as, as an instrument in my hands to help in her process of sanctification. And oh, by the way, that's going to cost you. Are you willing? And that's what you're saying I do to when you say I do. And he's saying the same thing to her. See that guy over there? That's my son. I'm at work in his life. Um, it's going to cost you to be part of his sanctification. Are you willing to bear the cost of his sanctification? Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Okay. Let's get married. Um, Right here is where the second step begins. So you might want to put in your margin, like halfway through that second paragraph under marriage, just right in the left margin, brokenness. And if you want to put a sad face there, you can. You see that second sentence? We recognize that while marriage is a good gift from God, Due to the presence of sin in this world and in our hearts, it will inevitably include some measure of challenge, suffering, and pain. I don't care how good your marriage is, you're not exempt. There will be some challenge, some suffering, and some pain. Which brings us now to divorce, which is, interestingly, it's kind of a blending of these two. Brokenness. Some divorce is outright brokenness. Some divorce, some of you will be surprised to hear me say this tonight, is this. It's provision. Um, If you grew up in a tradition where your translation of Malachi 2.16 was God hates divorce, and you kind of were taught God hates all divorce, I want to say to you, why did God make provision for divorce? Why did God say in situation A, And B, I'm providing for divorce because it's better than what's going on there. Divorce is a provision of God in certain circumstances. So we have to be very careful to kind of this categorical, God hates all divorce. Now, I'm going to say in just a moment, all divorce is a deviation from God's intention. But we have to understand this, God made provision in certain circumstances in order to protect the integrity of the institution of marriage and in order to protect individuals in hard situations, he made the provision of divorce. 
um, it's a category we've got to kind of understand. So let's look at it. Divorce. God's design for marriage continues to be for life, it continues for it to be lifelong and exclusive. Therefore, divorce must always be seen as a departure from God's intention. However, because of human sin and because of the severity of the effect of certain sin on marriage, there are situations in which God allows for divorce as a protection for the integrity of marriage as an institution and, more particularly, for the protection of individuals in destructive. That word has a very specific meaning, which I'm going to unpack in a moment. So don't let that word destructive go fuzzy. I'm talking about a very specific thing there, which I'll explain in a minute, destructive situations. In fact, here's where I want to introduce. I've already introduced the idea of covenant. That came right out of Malachi chapter 2, this idea of marriage as a covenant. God was a witness to the covenant that you made, you and your wife. What this is suggesting is that there are things so devastating that they actually rupture, they destroy that covenant. There are certain things that are so devastating that the covenant is broken. And therefore, God says, in those situations, the covenant can be dissolved. The legal, formal covenant can be dissolved, which is what we talk about when we're talking about divorce. So that word destructive is used very knowingly. It's talking about something that destroys, not just kind of makes uncomfortable or puts a nick in, something that breaks the covenant. That's why we're using that language of destruction, destructive. So there are two grounds for permissible divorce that are made explicit in Scripture. In other words, here are two things that God is saying are so devastating that they break the covenant. Now remember, we're kind of blending out of brokenness now into provision. Here's what God has provided because of the brokenness of the world, or to put it in Moses' language, because of the hardness of your heart. There's going to be situations where it's now necessary for God to step in and say, no, 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 I've got to protect your conception of marriage, and I've got to protect that person. And so there's an allowance here for divorce. The first ground for permissible, permissible divorce is sexual unfaithfulness. Now, please, I, let me go up and highlight something in that sentence right before that. There are two grounds for permissible divorce that are made explicit. You're going to understand why I'm stressing that in about five minutes. So the first ground, explicit, for permissible divorce is sexual unfaithfulness. It's mentioned twice in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, here's one of these places where, man, you just got to wrestle. What does that word mean? Sexual unfaithfulness. There's a very specific Greek word that gets used right there. It's the word porneia. It's a word from which we get our word pornography, pornographic, porneia. And that's what Jesus says. This is can't divorce your husband or your wife except for porneia, which we translate sexual unfaithfulness. Sexual unfaithfulness is destructive of the marriage bond. It breaks the marriage covenant. 
So fundamental is God's design in sexuality that when it is violated, it breaks the covenant and is therefore a legitimate grounds for the dissolution of the marriage covenant. By the way, that sentence represents some very critical reasoning. It's not unless the marriage covenant is broken that we now have the right to dissolve the marriage. So we're trying to identify covenant-breaking things. And Jesus tells us this is one of them right here. Now, here's, here's where you get down into the mess of things. We understand sexual unfaithfulness to include not only adultery, but also any illicit sexual activity outside the bounds of a legal and monogamous marriage. There is clear biblical support for that conclusion. That word porneia is used in situations to describe much more than just kind of what we understand as traditional adultery. There's another word that's used to describe that more specifically. But this word is, has brought, it includes adultery, certainly, but it has broader application than just adultery. It, it is used in the Bible to describe all manner of illicit sexual activity outside the bounds of a legal and monogamous marriage. Now we bring this right up to the 21st century. We understand that indulging in a pattern of or certain kinds of pornography is a form of sexual unfaithfulness and therefore constitutes legitimate grounds for divorce. That's a really scary statement. Please notice the care with which it was written. A pattern of, I'm going to explain that in a minute, or certain kinds of. We've had to deal with situations like this where there's been this kind of thing in a marriage, and now the question is, is that that thing that Jesus says qualifies for divorce? Um, And so we've had to rule in a few situations, and some of the criteria that we use is if there's a certain kind of indulgence in pornography, especially when there is engagement with another person. Um, In other words, if you've interacted with a, a human being I know this gets fuzzy because all of the people on those pictures are human beings, but you, you understand I'm talking about a kind of engagement, a chat room, a phone, a some... I mean, it's amazing what's out there and the opportunity to actually connect with a person. And so that kind of pornography we have ruled is, in fact a, how did we say it here, an illicit sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. We have also ruled in cases where there isn't that kind of pornographic involvement, but where there is a pattern, where there is an obsession. Here's the language that we've used that has, um, that has substituted or one has transferred what belongs to one's wife to pornography or their affections, their loyalties are redirected. In other words, this thing over here has now occupied a place that's supposed to be occupied by one's wife. And not just, not just physically, but in terms of one's energy. One's, this is what we talked about at the men's retreat. One's strength is now being directed elsewhere when it should be directed towards one's wife. So you see the difficulty of this, and, and that's why the next sentence, 
the question of whether or not a case of this kind of sexual activity constitutes sexual unfaithfulness will be considered on a case-by-case basis. I think the important thing to get there is that that word porneia is not just some one particular act. It covers a broad spectrum of sexual infidelity. It should be noted, next paragraph, and emphasize that while in cases of sexual unfaithfulness, divorce is allowed, so that's that provision, because it's covenant-breaking, God says there's provision for that because of the effect of that on a marriage. Because of the destructive effect of that on a marriage, God says, I will make provision for there to be a divorce. But it should be noted and emphasized that while in cases of sexual unfaithfulness, divorce is allowed, it is not required. Um, Open your hearts to the grace of God right now. (laughs) Broken marriages can be restored. Even marriages broken like this. The grace of God makes seemingly impossible things like forgiving a sexually guilty spouse possible. Since marriage is a sacred union, a couple, as well as the church, should do everything they can to preserve the union. Where there is genuine repentance, we're talking here about sexual unfaithfulness, where there is genuine repentance, God requires genuine forgiveness and strongly encourages reconciliation. Now, I hope you notice something there. Very deliberate, very intentional. There is a distinction, a really important distinction, between forgiveness and reconciliation. One can genuinely forgive and still say, we're done. In other words, forgiveness does not require reconciliation. God has made provision, in this case, for a divorce. So we cannot, do not, we cannot as a church use this as a club to say to women or men who have been sinned against sexually, well, you've got to forgive them, which means you've got to go back into that marriage. No, God has said, I've made provision for you because of the devastation of that to end this marriage. You need to forgive him. You need to forgive her. That's required. God says, when there is repentance, you forgive just as God in Christ forgave you. That's what gospel people do. But there is not a requirement, therefore, for reconciliation. So, I just want to make sure that distinction is super clear. We try to make that very purposefully clear in that statement. Um, But please notice that while reconciliation isn't required, God would... What a a display of the gospel that could be. So now it's... You've got to think, what's wisdom look like here? What does God call for here? Um, So there, there will be... Um, I hope godly counsel to, is this recoverable? Is this reconcilable? Is this something where a broken marriage can be fixed? If after a period of careful deliberation, the wronged spouse chooses to reconcile with the offending spouse, the wronged spouse cannot claim the forgiven offense as grounds for divorce at a later time. You understand the situation here? Um, I've forgiven you, we reconcile, and now something else happens in the marriage that bothers me. I can't bring this up. 
and say, well, now I'm going to divorce you because remember back in such and such a year, you were unfaithful to me. No. Um, It's been forgiven. It's done. So that's why we say careful deliberation. Um, You've got to think about the implications of your forgiveness and reconciliation. All right, that's all. Isn't this interesting? I spent two long paragraphs talking about sexual unfaithfulness and one sentence on the second ground. The second ground for permissible divorce made explicit in Scripture is when an unbelieving spouse is unwilling to stay in a marriage with a believing spouse. That's very explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, I don't know that we need to say much more about that. It's a pretty clear case. If you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever is willing to stay, great. In fact, Paul goes on to say, who knows? Um, God might use that to bring your unbelieving spouse to faith. But if the unbeliever wants to leave, you've got to let him go. And there's freedom. All right. While the aforem- This is, by the way, this paragraph coming up right here is where, where the expansion and the greater refinement and the greater detail comes. This is the paragraph right here. While the aforementioned situations are the only legitimate grounds for divorce explicitly named in the New Testament, we believe there is a larger biblical understanding of marriage summarized especially in Genesis chapter 2. Remember that verse that I stressed, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a powerful vision of marriage in that verse. It speaks about the basic obligation of covenant fidelity. You're leaving what has been your covenant responsibility to your parents. You are now entering into a covenant responsibility with your wife, and it looks like something. Um, You become one flesh together. In light of that larger understanding, we believe that there are behaviors. In other words, we're not appealing to explicit statements This is the grounds for divorce. This is the grounds for divorce. We are appealing now to an understanding of marriage set forth like in the second chapter of the Bible. And on the basis of that understanding of marriage, we believe there are behaviors that are so obviously destructive. Notice that word again. It's this thing. Covenant breaking to the marriage bond as to constitute covenant breaking and thereby allow for divorce. Now, there's a little reference there. Um, it's not an easy one to understand. It's Exodus 21, 10, and 11. Let me just tell you. You can look it up later, but let me just tell you what's there is a kind of little catalog of obligations of covenant responsibility, obligations of marriage. And things are named like providing food, providing shelter, providing conjugal rights, sexuality in marriage. Those things are responsibilities of a husband and wife to one another. This next three sentences um, is going to be really important. We recognize that a measure of sin and suffering will be present in every marriage. Can I get a witness? Amen. We recognize that a measure of sin and suffering will be present in every marriage and that God calls us to patiently bear with and forgive one another for these common sins against each other. We also recognize some marriages will be hard, having to endure slow-to-change patterns of sin and difficulties for which much help is needed over a long period of time. 
It's a separate category, second category. However, there are sins that are so destructive that they break the marriage covenant and thereby allow for divorce. So let me just put a little drawing up here that I hope is helpful. This line represents marriage, continuum of marriage, different kinds of marriage. Those three sentences are representing three different categories. I know this line isn't quite so sharp as this, but three different categories. Let's call this one common. Uh, it, it has its sins and challenges in it. Um, let's call this one hard. This has particularly challenging sins in it, patterns in it, that seem to go on and don't seem kind of yielding to um, attention or resolution. They just they are hard. And then you've got broken marriages. Um, this word, I'm going to put in quotes because I want this, I want you to understand this, this is an objective category in Scripture. This is not a subjective, I feel like my marriage is broken. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? This is a place where the elders have got to spend a lot of time in prayer because people in this category will sometimes come and say to us, my marriage is broken. And we have to say, um, the Bible is very specific about things that break marriages. You've got a hard marriage. Um, the constant bickering about money is not broken. It's really hard. We're going to do everything we can to help you come alongside, but it does not constitute covenant breaking. Um, I just use one kind of common example there. I'm trying to stress this because this is a place where a person in this kind of a situation over a long period of time can, can lose hope. It just drains. It just drains. And they can come to elders and say, help. And what they want is an endorsement of them getting out of their marriage. And we've got to hold this line. Now, what we're doing is wanting to make sure that we have included in this category all that Scripture includes in this category but we also want to make sure not to disregard the sacredness of marriage and God's design by including everything that's hard in this category. Is this helpful? Okay, it's, it's helpful to sit here and talk about it. Come and sit in our meetings. Um, deal with people who have endured this for years and they don't know what to do. You see the difficulty of applying biblical principles to particular situations. So those three sentences, this is where we spent the most time on this document. This is the last thing to come into focus. Um, so helpful when one of the guys on the team just really crystallized this for us. We recognize that a measure of sin and suffering will be present in every marriage and that God calls us to patiently bear with and forgive one another for these common sins against each other. I hope you're willing to do that in your marriage. We also recognize some marriages are going to be hard. Having to endure, I, I said to the guys on the retreat, I said, you know, um, given our various family backgrounds, we all carry a little bit of weirdness. Right? Um, somebody said amen at the women's retreat too. <laughs> the point is, there are situations where our thinking, our behavior has been so affected by whatever 
that we're coming into marriage with some hard things, and it makes it hard. And those things don't just change overnight. So, but that's a category that we want to make sure, even though sometimes it's hard to find where that line is, there's a line there. And as elders, we have a responsibility to honor that line. However, there are sins that are so destructive. We've named two explicitly, sexual unfaithfulness, desertion by an unbeliever, that they break the marriage covenant and thereby allow for divorce. These would include, see what we're doing here, we're going beyond the explicitly named ones, and we're standing on Genesis 2.24 and saying, Given that understanding of what marriage is, a man shall leave his husband and his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that word cleave means to exercise a, a covenant loyalty to her. That's what marriage is. You become one flesh and you exercise a covenant loyalty. And these things break that covenant loyalty. Physical violence. Patterns of behavior that are mentally or emotionally dehumanizing. Um, the refusal to provide materially or conjugally, we don't use that word anymore, sex, to, to, to engage in this, this real and also highly symbolic intimacy um, between a husband and wife. Failure to do that is, in fact, a breaking of one's covenant obligation. Um, the determination of warrant for divorce... In such cases, by the way, that should never be used in a marriage as a, as a club. I just realized that, that can go sideways in marriages of husbands or wives saying, you know, um, there are other passages in scriptures that will, that will stop you short from that kind of thing pretty quick. So I just want to make sure that we understand there are things that are essential to covenant loyalty and the provision of these things is part of that. Um, the determination of warrant for divorce in such cases will require case-by-case deliberation and a careful, prayerful application of biblical principles. All right, we have covered the lion's share of this. I'm going to move through the last page fairly quickly. But now we're going into limits. So God has a design for marriage. It's a good design because we're sinners. We live in a, in a fallen world. Um, brokenness has been introduced to that design. Because of that brokenness, God gives provisions, uh, the provision of divorce in particular situations. So we've already seen the limits of that provision, but now we're going to see some extended limits of that provision, and we get to remarriage. We understand that when there is a biblically allowed divorce, that divorce dissolves the marriage bond, and consequently there is freedom to remarry. It should be said, I hope that's pretty clear, biblically warranted divorce, freedom to remarry. Okay? It should be said and emphasized that even if there is freedom to remarry, that does not necessarily mean it is wise to remarry. Um, As elders, we use these two categories regularly. Is there freedom? Yes. Is it wise? Uh, Not yet or not in this situation. And so we will often counsel You're free to remarry, but we would not encourage you to take this step right now or to take this step with this particular individual or we'll we'll counsel. Um, You want freedom and wisdom to to line up if you're going to move into remarriage. So 
It should be said and emphasized that even if there is freedom to remarry, that does not necessarily mean it's wise. Those who have been legitimately divorced should bear in mind that even after a period of separation, reconciliation can happen. Thus, remarriage should not be entered into without careful and patient deliberation. In case, now I'm going to read this next paragraph because this might hit some folks hard. And I want you to almost let your eyes go down to the bottom of the page because there's something really important we're going to get to there. But let me say this now. In cases of unwarranted divorce, the persons pursuing the divorce are to remain unmarried or be reconciled with their former spouse. They should not remarry with another person after an illegitimate divorce. Jesus is very clear on this. To do so would be adultery. So if there's an illegitimate divorce, you've pursued an illegitimate divorce, and you marry that marriage, that is actually adulterous. The Bible does not explicitly address the difficult question of whether the offending party in a legitimate divorce is free to remarry. So you get the case here. A man is unfaithful to his wife. She pursues a biblically warranted divorce. She is free. Is he? You see the the difficulty. And our instincts are, of course not, the dirty rat. He should be punished. All of our instincts go in that direction. I mean, it's interesting. A group of elders who we trust are relatively skilled in God's Word and attentive to the Spirit, this is a regular place where we felt our emotions coming out. What? He's unfaithful and he's free? So here's our answer to that question. We believe that when there is genuine repentance, so much of this is a, not so much, all of this is a matter of the heart, and the difficulty of discerning another person's heart is, as you know, uh, high. We believe that when there is genuine repentance and no opportunity for reconciliation with the former spouse, either because of the death or the subsequent remarriage of the former spouse, there is freedom to remarry given the biblically warranted dissolution of the marriage covenant. That is the most counterintuitive conclusion that we came to in this paper. But we had to because of this thing called forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. And so if a man is unfaithful to his wife, she pursues a divorce, she is free to remarry because the marriage bond is broken. What about him? Well, if he's in a position of ongoing unrepentance, then we would say anything he does is now marred by that lack of repentance and by whatever motivates him. But if there is genuine repentance and he now wants to reconcile because of that repentance, but his wife's dead or his wife is now remarried, should he go to her and say, hey, divorce that guy so you can get remarried back to me? No. Is he free? If, in fact, there is repentance, there is forgiveness and cleansing. And so we have ruled on at least one occasion that a person in that situation is, in fact, free to remarry. It's probably, in my opinion, the most challenging situation we've had to face. All right. Um, Two more categories, and then we'll be done here. 
um, separation. There's no clear teaching in Scripture which sanctions willful separation without divorce. In situations where a person's safety, physical, emotional, mental, is endangered, we will recommend and support a limited, by the way, the limitation is one of time. That's what we're talking about there, a limited separation. A spouse should not pursue an ongoing separation independent of the knowledge and counsel of the elders. You know what? That's not going to sell out there in the world. Who do you guys think you are to run my life? That only makes sense in the context of a church where there's a group of people who recognize that God has, for the good of the church, established this design of authority. We're no different than you are, except God has put us in a position to exercise authority. So that's why we say this here. Um, A spouse should not pursue an ongoing separation independent of the knowledge and the counsel of the elders. Any separation should be seen as a temporary measure, though it is warranted as long as the situation necessitating it persists. Really important. So you can't put artif- you know, arbitrary times. I've read you know, things about this that people say six months. How do you know? You cannot put an arbitrary time on this. As long as the situation that requires the separation is in place, the separation is warranted. So the purpose of such a separation should always be restorative, though health and safety must first be reestablished for that restoration to occur. Once again, we recognize that the determination of health and safety will require wise pastoral judgment. During the separation, both persons should be receiving the care, counsel, and support of the church, particularly of the elders. You see what's happened here, right? We've now transitioned into this category, church care. I want to say that because the thing I'm about to say is not often seen as church care, but it is. You see the next heading? Discipline. Church discipline will be exercised whenever any member deliberately violates his or her marriage covenant or seeks to break the marriage covenant through divorce without biblical warrant. This discipline, as with all church discipline, is designed to bring repentance, while at the same time it also upholds the sacredness of marriage in the church. So there's, there's both purposes in this. It's designed to draw someone back into repentance, to get their attention. Don't go there. Don't go there. I remember when we were raising our kids, we talked so often about the circle of blessing. What would a loving father do if a child was now wandering off the path? Don't go there. Come on back. Get back in this place of blessing. So that's what discipline's designed to do. Get people back in a place of God's blessing. But it also, at the very same time, is making a statement. God's design of marriage is not to be toyed with. Um, We want to protect the sacredness of marriage. Now, this last thing that I referenced a moment ago, um, we have situations like this in the church. I am so glad to speak of God's real grace. If there has been an unwarranted divorce and remarriage in the past, the married couple should remain in their present marriage. There should be an acknowledgement of the past wrongdoing with accompanying honest confession, genuine repentance, the making of whatever amends are necessary, but there should also be a laying hold of the gracious forgiveness of God in Christ. Please hear this. 
unwarranted divorce and remarriage are not unpardonable sins. The minute you name some sin as unpardonable, oh my goodness, be careful. It's not your own. Unwarranted divorce and remarriage are not unpardonable sins. I believe, we believe, God has good for those who acknowledge their wrong and now commit to pursuing a path of spirit-led holiness. All right, we've covered a lot of ground. There's the document. Let me just summarize it by rehearsing these steps. God has a good design for marriage. Man's sin introduces brokenness into that design. God provides, in light of the brokenness, he provides divorce. And he provides a guard. He provides divorce to guard marriage and to protect individuals who are being damaged by the behavior of the covenant breaker. There are limits to God's provision. Limits to the grounds of divorce. Very clear limits. And there are limits on subsequent marriages. All of that should be under the care of a local church. So let me go back to that last sentence under the first heading of the document. Last sentence of the second paragraph. As elders, we are eager to be alongside those in challenging marital situations as early as possible to provide care, counsel, encouragement, and support. We want to do that as shepherds. I mean, we have our own marriages that we have to attend to but we've also been called to care, to shepherd. But we as a church have a responsibility as well. This is not just elders looking out for others. We're looking out for each other. And so this needs to be a place, this church, this church body, needs to be a place of support and encouragement and real grace, not worldly anything-goes grace. God's biblically revealed grace to people like us in real-life situations. So let's be that kind of church. All right. This took longer than I thought. Jared, we got like 10 minutes for Q&A. Okay. Let's be brilliant. Right here. Mike, Roquam. Uh, sir, you brought up the common, the hard, and the broken. Yeah. Um, as we are ministering grace to one another with respect to our marriages, at what point do we say, this is beyond me as, as a believer, I need to get an elder involved? Where's, where's that, where do you see that line? I That's say. a great question, Mike, because it raises the goodness and reality of the presence of the fellowship of believers, the priesthood of believers. We can do a whole lot more than we think, so let's not punt too quickly but at the same time, there are situations that call for the kind of grace that God promises to bring through elders. So it might be a both-and situation. We're going to continue to be alongside this couple as friends or part of our gospel community, and we're going to, with their kind of, not just permission, but their knowledge, we think it would be really good for you to sit down with one of the elders and just make them aware. That's why we have elders over spheres. So there's a good natural relationship for a couple to say to Bill Nye, who's over their sphere, uh, uh, can we talk a little bit? We're facing some challenges. The earlier the better, but that does not in any way 
kind of erode your presence, Mike and Kim Rolquam, next to Joe and Susie. So at what point, Mike, there's no formula. It's what I love about the Christian life, endlessly interesting. It calls for virtue and wisdom in the moment, and God will give it to you. So you talk to your wife and say, what do you think? Should we say, should we encourage Joe and Susie to see somebody? Let's pray about this. God will give you, he's promised to give you wisdom. Ask him. But thank you for raising that because it really raises the important piece of we all need to be present and caring for one another. Yeah. There's questions all over the place. Yeah, Lauren? This is weird using a microphone. Um, So say there is biblical grounds for a divorce in a marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the two people are trying to reconcile. One is legitimately trying to reconcile, mm-hmm. but the other one is not, is saying that they are, but is not honestly going mm-hmm. through like that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there is the legitimate grounds. Could that, that person who's trying to reconcile hit a point where they could say, I'm done, I want a divorce, and move on and be held with grace and comfort and knowing that they've done what they could and that they can therefore move on. So the assumptions in your case are that there is a biblically warranted uh, um, situation breaking. And so the answer to your question is yes, based on that. But so much of this, Lauren, goes to the heart. So this is why we have to regularly kind of do a Psalm 139 check. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me as I'm thinking about this decision that I need to make about whether I want to continue to seek reconciliation here. The heart is the matter. And so if there is, in fact, before God, I have done everything I can, um, but um, there is this thing, and it has so devastated our marriage that I now am in seizing the provision that God has made, that person is free to seize that provision. They're to be commended for their attempts at reconciliation. But at the end of the day, if the other person is not participating in that, what are you going to do? So, um, and, and those cases exist, Lauren. So, yeah. You know, any answer I give tonight is going to be way too brief. Um, so we, I trust we all recognize that there's lots here. Okay. Carol? I have, I have never heard anything <clears throat> like this before. This is extremely exciting to me, the grace. So is this bringing hope to people who are divorced to be able to, to work in a church? Because most churches shut divorced people out. Right. Right. And if it's done right, like you're right. saying, right. and they have... Right. The, you know, the good reason God's given him that, right. that opening for divorce. Right. Can they work in a church? Yeah, absolutely, Carol. And thank you again, because one of the implications of this, by the way, this comes up in the pastoral epistles where you're talking about qualifications for an elder. Let's just go right to that position. Is it possible for a divorced man to be an elder? And in so many situations, it would be like, oh, the fact of the matter is, if there was a biblically warranted divorce um, and that man conducted himself through that process, um, there is not anything prohibiting him. I'm going to the extreme case, Carol, um, from being an elder. Now, we would, have to, we would have to examine that situation so fully, and that person would have to humbly submit themselves to a thorough 
thorough examination, but there's nothing essential that prohibits them from that. Now, if there's an illegitimate divorce, then automatically disqualified. So now trace that all the way down to various positions of responsibility and authority. You know, we would certainly um, not just allow but welcome people, even if there's illegitimate divorce. I mean, we're all... <laughs> if you kept record of sins, oh God, who could stand? Um, but with you there is forgiveness. So you've got to treasure these things. Now if there's... I'm going to preach this Sunday about the theological principle, how God thinks about people is how we should think about people. And so if God is forgiven and reinstated, now there are implications for positions of authority. And I think the elder, the pastor would be one of those if there is something, because there's other qualifications, like he's got to have a, got to be above reproach, he's got to have a good reputation, so there's other things that speak to the ability if there's been an unwarranted divorce in the past. There can be real forgiveness, but there might be no longer the ability to serve in a certain capacity. All of this to say, I hope your first comment is true. Yes, I hope this gives hope to people, that there is real grace. There are real, that's why I made my comment, let's not exercise worldly grace. You know, this kind of false, anything goes. Let's exercise real grace within the bounds that God has encouraged us to do so. Right, I'm taking too long in answering. Uh, I think Jim and then Fred and then Aaron, and then we'll get to you guys, I think. Thank you. I recognize the hard work you guys did in putting this together. It's a very uh, well-crafted and balanced document. Um, the, the distinction you made between the hard and the broken is helpful, but I think it's a little bit scary, too, when you consider mm-hmm. that you preface it by saying you're going above and beyond God's word where he has specific examples to make allowance for divorce. Right. So in that sense, it's a little bit scary. Let me stop you right there, Jim. We're, in fact, um, we're, not go- we're, we're purposely not going above and beyond. We're going to a place other than the explicit statements, right. yeah. but we want this to be just as biblically grounded, which is why I stress that Genesis 2.24 thing. Right, Sorry. And, and I think that's an important distinction. I'm glad yeah. you made it. Uh, but, it, you know, I wonder if that needs to be carefully worded so that uh, cannot be gamed, if you will, right. by people oh. that are trying to yeah. take advantage of that situation. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm just a great point, Jim. Possibility. Yeah. So this document is a living document, and if there's, if there's better ways, we want to be done, but if there's a better way to say that. But I hope you heard Jim's point. The last thing we want is people work in the system. Um. And so it requires, yes, careful deliberation, but we need to have clear lines that this is, in fact, biblically grounded. Here's the reference, Genesis 2.24. Here's a supporting reference, Exodus 21.10 and 11. Helps us to understand what Genesis 2.24 means such that we can now draw the conclusion that these kinds of activities, neglect, cruelty, withholding, those are covenant-breaking things, and we're not just making that up. Here's the scariest thing. Um, the word abuse in our culture, oh my goodness. Well, th- this is the context for my question because yeah. in, a, in a context of changing moral standards, yeah. um, we don't know what is permissible, what is violence, right. what is abuse. Right. We're not sure. Right, right. So we've got to have... So- uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Jim, well, I keep jumping in on you. On, kind of a question, too, on your, yeah. on your paragraph where you define uh, permissible uh, divorce based on sexual unfaithfulness. You comment that 
adultery with illicit sexual activity. And I question yeah. the word illicit yeah. use there. Yeah. It seems either possibly redundant or possibly confusing. Uh -huh. you know, if illicit is referring to rules, whose rules, what rules, isn't all activity outside of marriage? Yeah. Brother, you are hired. Illicit? You are hired. As our, as our word helper, I'm being a little facetious, Jim, but you can, you can see the difficulty of crafting this kind of document. There's no document that we can create that is not going to, that is going to make it unnecessary for us to bring biblical wisdom and biblical care to particulars. I think that's an important point. Once you put something in writing, yeah. you can't leave it as, as your standard. You still right. have to really carefully Got to interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you can give five minutes, we're going to have one, two, three, four questions and then be done. If you've got to go, feel free to go. Uh, we were right here. Fred. One, two, three, four. I had a question on the remarriage section. Mm -hmm. So assuming you do have a biblically allowed divorce, time passes, neither party gets remarried. If the offending party does genuinely repent, one is the non-offending party required to reconcile if the other person wants, if the offender no. wants to? No. So they can say, no, I'm done, I've forgiven you, right. but I do not want to re-enter yes. into the marriage. Yes. And, and secondly, and the, if that's Hang the on, case, Fred. Oh, the okay. reason for that is because the nature of that thing was so devastating that it broke the covenant. And so um, th that, that's the grounds that God now says it is permissible for a divorce. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And the second part then would be if the person um, did not want to reconcile and remarry, then the offender also would be uh, eligible then to remarry somebody else. Yeah, this is, is that, that that's, this is that difficult case, and there's things that are required there, repentance, wisdom. But uh, if there was a biblically warranted divorce... We have had to conclude that that, that applies then to both parties, that there is real forgiveness for the offense. Okay, Aaron? Um, my question is more for the document yeah. itself. Mm -hmm. Given that Crossway hasn't had, like you said, for 20 years, this hasn't been written out, mm -hmm. One, is this being added to the membership requirements to sign on to this That's a great question. idea? Yeah. And then two, if it is being added in and there's somebody who's currently a member who disagrees right, with this, right. will there be, I mean, you sign your name, will there, right. will there be removal yeah. of membership if you disagree? No, 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 no. And I don't think at this point that we would make this a part of the membership process. This would be a document that is available that represents our position as a church. The things that are required for membership are your happy endorsement of our statement of faith and our defining values. And I don't think we're going to multiply documents out there, but this is a guiding document to help people know where we stand and also to train us as a church and where we want to go. So, yeah, good question. Dan Stanley and then Katrina. I don't think I don't think Katrina is going to be able to speak up. I don't think Katrina is going to be able to speak that loud, though. To the elders, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Dan, can I just piggyback on you and have the guys stand up so that you know the men who have put in the work? Uh, Steve, David, Jimmy, uh, Chuck. I'm not going to get you all. Just stand up. Don't be shy. Please, Steve, Bruce, some guys that couldn't be here, Altown. Um, so these are the men that have put in the work. Um, so, yeah. I meant uh, that to go faster. Jared Compton. I didn't mention him. Um, He's there. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for the care and on all of that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I, I do have a question. It's more clarity. Um, it kind of got asked, but then I, I was probably a tad confused. The question to the, to the part on remarriage in that third paragraph where it says, we believe that where there is genuine repentance and no opportunity for reconciliation with the former spouse, either because of the death or the subsequent remarriage of the former spouse, there is freedom to remarry given the, biblical, the biblically warranted dissolution of the marriage covenant. I'm, I'm trying to clarify, is the intention to say that the opposite, what the opposite is, meaning... Do, essentially, do you believe or does the church believe that where there is genuine repentance and there is opportunity for reconciliation, meaning the former spouse is still alive and unmarried, um, but that former spouse does not want yeah. to get married, is that offending yeah. party free to then remarry? Yeah. Welcome yes. to the labyrinth. Um, what we would hope, Dan, is that when there's genuine repentance by the offending party and that there's a pursuit of reconciliation that is done with love and patience, that it would be winning. That's what we would hope. So this other situation we'd have to deal with, um, it's not specified in there. Like I said at the very beginning, if we addressed every possible case, um, so th that's one we would have to sit down and deliberate over, Dan. I know that's probably an unsatisfying answer, but that's, that's the only responsible answer I can give you right now. Katrina? First of all, I want to say thank you for doing this. This has like really opened my eyes to a lot of things because growing up as a Christian, you're only taught those two principles, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm praising the guys who did that work and just the guidance there. Yeah. I can tell you personally, I was in that hard mm -hmm. lie for so mm -hmm. much, mm -hmm. for years, for years. Then I was broken. And then my situation was the whole safety issue. Mm -hmm. So, so many, so, so many times, Pastor, um, women, it's a control thing when you get the beast going on. It's hard to come forward and say that your husband is doing things like this to mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you've been taught that you cannot have a divorce because mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of times um, safety is a big issue because mm -hmm. I was in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. Yeah. It's really a good yeah. guidance. Yeah. Thank you, Katrina. Um, two things. One of the things we hope happens as a result of the publication of this, both the talking about it here and then this document going out is going to be the heightened awareness of kinds of situations that you've just described. And then also, please notice, I think we're learning and the, the specific reference in there to safety and health, those kinds of categories that we recognize as elders 
need to be part of our awareness and our dialogue. We've been helped actually by people um, in the kind of social um, professions to kind of be a little bit more attentive to um, the dynamics of abuse, especially in marriages. So we're learning. Um, thank you. Yeah. You want to pray? you pray but before you do okay guys if you'd stick around a little bit after you're done kind of fellowshipping and help us put away the chairs that would be super and then the platform as well so thank you thanks for coming tonight i'm gonna have mike why don't you and this thing weighs a ton it weighs it? a ton so uh, do it so with a partner we don't want any backs going out next wednesday and the subsequent wednesday two marriage workshops which are not immediately related to this they are um kind of the propedeutic to this. Do you know that word? Um, the, the intentional prevention of. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, uh, we're going to talk about marriage and communication. So come on out next Wednesday and the following Wednesday. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for tonight. Thanks for helping us to get some ideas um, both put together and then communicated. Lord, I pray you'd protect our hearts in this. Every one of us has particular temptations, and we want to, once again, just communicate to you our desire is to be yielded completely to you, and the form that that will take will be yielding completely to your word. So help us rightly handle your word in our own lives and in the life of our church. God, we would pray for your blessing on marriages. Uh, We pray that marriages would in fact, be strong and therefore able to lend assistance to others around us. God, would you build into us a rich fabric of healthy marriages and a rich fabric of grace. Um, Lord, we pray this would be a safe place, this church, a safe place to talk about and to um, bring forward the need for help. And I pray that you would help every one of us to stay in a position of humility. Let him who stands take heed, lest he fall. And so, God, we pray for your protection. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, drive safely. See you Sunday.